This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1, it serves as the basis for my sermon today. At once, the Spirit sent him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel of the Lord. It seems so strange, so odd. The gospel writer Mark is telling a story, and it's short. Read through his gospel in the Bible someday, the second book of the New Testament, and you'll know why this account that we're looking at today from the first chapter is so different. Normally, when Mark tells a story, he uses all kinds of details and drama. It's as though his mentor, the Apostle Peter, was right there with bulging eyes and excited tremor in his voice, sitting up on the edge of his chair telling Mark, you you just have to hear what happened next. But this account is short. Just a couple sentences about Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, and then about a year later, the start of his ministry up north in the territory around the Sea of Galilee. Bang! No intricate details, no listing of the names of people who were at Jesus' side, no city or towns named Just boom, like an unexpected clap of the hands, or like the slamming down of the hood of your car, or like a fighter jet zooming at church steeple level, Mach 3, whoosh. By using this few words style for this little account, it's almost as though the gospel writer Mark is breathless with excitement and as if to say, sit up, open your ears, pay attention to the greatest story ever told. God burst into our time and space, has grasped us by the hand, and has yanked us away from the edge of the pit of hell. And here's how it all started. This attention-grabbing, short and brief style that Mark uses here 
is just perfect timing because this is the first Sunday of the season of Lent. And it just makes no sense losing sight of what Lent is all about. Like saying, well, the doctor identified a tumor on my brain and I'm, I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. Nor does it make any sense to fall into patterns of apathy or indifference. Like, well, my sins really, really aren't that bad and I'll, I'll, I'll get around to paying attention to what God is like and what he says about me in his word, but when I have some time, because I'm just... I'm really busy right now, you know, I'm a student and I got a lot of homework to do or I'm, re- I'm really busy with my life and trying to get or fix my love life or I'm just really busy thinking about how I can help my kids succeed or I'm really busy wondering how and when I can get a COVID vaccine. Mark's short, punchy gospel account right here in chapter 1 fairly hollers out at us, don't put it off. Don't put your connection with God on the back burner. This is what really counts. This, what he writes right, this is what really counts. How are you doing when temptations sneak up on you like a rubber-soled black clad, balaclava-masked ninja. Has your mind ever started feeling great, deep feelings of insecurity? Which is basically telling God, you didn't know what you're doing when you made me. Has your heart yearned for things that other people have and you don't? Which is ignoring God's call to contentment. Are you tempted to retaliate with sharp retorts if somebody so much as looks at you funny? Are you feeding lustful passion with thoughts and behaviors that you'd be embarrassed to death if anybody ever found out about? Have you made excuses about taking care of your own personal spiritual growth which puts God once again playing second fiddle to your games and gizmos that are eating up your time? Have you wasted money racking up debt on fun now things without any thought for caring about the long-term concerns for you, your family, and for your church family? And then you might end up like I do once in a while thinking, well, you know, I, okay, I've, temptations come my way, but I'll be over to, I'll be able to overcome them. I'll, I'll just, uh, Flip a switch and get back on track with God whenever I need to. But how often I've tried that and fallen back into the old, same old, same old failings and faults, and I bet you have too. It took the Gospel writer Mark just 22 words to sketch out this momentous battle between Jesus and Satan. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. No sooner had Jesus been inaugurated into his role and work as our Savior when he went into a one-on-one duel with the devil. But when you think about it, 
Isn't that the reason the Son of God took on human flesh in the first place? The whole point of God sending his son into the world was to do combat with the accuser because no human warrior could do the job. What job? Well, the job of freeing us from Satan's chokehold on our souls. From the moment we're born, we're trapped in the devil's clutches with no way out. And that is a shocker to a lot of people who haven't heard it before. But it's true nonetheless And I'm not talking about demon possession because the devil isn't primarily interested in possessing our bodies, but he does want to possess our souls, holding us captive in the prison of self-importance. And he does that by targeting our souls with the RPGs of his temptation to think that what really counts is our needs and our desires and our being in control. When Adam and Eve broke their connection with God, the Lord God had a perfect right to shake his finger in their face and tell them, you want to hang out with your new buddy Satan? Well, go ahead. I'm just going to leave you there. But he didn't do that. Instead, he turned to the devil himself and said, one descendant of this woman is going to come into the world one day and crush your head. Crush your power, Satan. Don't you think that just drove the devil crazy? He's now wondering, with every baby born, is this the one? Every baby born, is this the one who's going to destroy me? But then we see Jesus of Nazareth standing knee-deep in the Jordan River, and the voice of the Heavenly Father booms out, this is my son, this is the one. Don't you think the devil was listening right then? And now he comes up with a big plan. I'm going to try to get Jesus off track. Because if he can get Jesus off track, that means that he, the devil, will be able to capture and hold the whole human race in his control forever. And this sets the stage. This sets the stage for this big battle in the wilderness from our gospel account. Mark just starts off and says very simply, at once, no internship, No practice at this for Jesus. No waiting around. The time had come. The time had come to do battle with the devil. And it was not just like one or two or three. Forty days of consistent barrage of temptations. And Jesus was in this all alone. The gospel writer hints at this isolation when he says he was with the wild animals. He was there all alone battling the devil. And the gospel writer goes on to say, not only wild animals, but he's being tempted. This was a constant series of temptations. It wasn't some kind of staged tussle between stunt doubles with plastic weapons. These temptations were real, and they were intense. It's Satan saying to Jesus, you know you're the son of God, and I know that too. You know you've got all power and authority in heaven and earth, and I know that too. Why don't you just snap your fingers and make everybody bow down to you, to honor you for your big glory as a son of God? Why go through all the pain? Why go through all the torture? Why go through all suffering and then have glory later? Do it now. With just a little phrase in this abbreviated, short, punchy account by Mark's gospel, he indicates Jesus' victory when he says, and angels attended him. 
Jesus won. But this doesn't mean that Satan was done in his efforts to trick or trap Jesus. Although we don't find another big head-to-head vivid account like right here until three years later when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross battling the devil. But Satan was behind the scenes throughout his three-year public ministry working on the crowds to try to get to get Jesus to be their earthly king and the crowds getting mad at him and wanted to even kill him on a couple occasions when he didn't do what they wanted. Satan was there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was there in the middle of Jesus' ministry. He was there at the end of Jesus' ministry through the Apostle Peter's suggestion to forego suffering, through the Pontius Pilate, the governor's sneers, through the mob's taunts. But through it all, Jesus stood the test. He battled Satan, and he came out with flying colors. If someone ever asks you, What is Lent all about? You can tell them it's really not all about denying ourselves banana splits and beef and bourbon. It's really all about this battle that Jesus won for us. This is what really counts. He won this battle against Satan for us. That means in our place. God credits his victory as though we had fought the battle and we didn't. Jesus did in our place for us. And so now you can tell people who ask, what's Lent all about? Well, it means that I've got a champion, Jesus, and I am not stuck in Satan's camp. I'm in God's camp and trusting in Jesus, you can be too. Okay, Pastor. You've announced what I already know, that Jesus won this battle against Satan, and he did it for me, in my, so I don't have to fight the devil. That's really cool. But what about the temptations that still come every day and bother me in my heart and my mind? I still keep getting these temptations. What about that? Mark sweeps us ahead one year to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in and around a fishing village near the Sea of Galilee. And in just very short phrases, he says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What good news? That spring is 27 days away? That eventually you'll be able to wash the salt off your car? That you can get a COVID vaccine eventually? No. The good news of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. He's announcing that nothing is going to stand and that's going to be in his way that's going to cause him to stop his path. He is going to the cross. He went there, he died there, and he started the kingdom of God there, which is none other than the proclaiming of pardon of all sins, of all people of all time, and power given out so that we can overcome temptations. A guy by the name of Saul was the first king of ancient Israel. And he was, well, he was a jerk. (laughs) He was just terrible. And uh, his son, however, his son Jonathan was really a prince of a guy in more ways than just the title. And in the Bible book of 1 Samuel, there is an interesting account about what went on during the time of King Saul and his son Jonathan. The Philistines, and these are inveterate enemies of the Israelites, this is this mighty warrior nation and stuff. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots 
and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. All the troops with Saul were quaking with fear. They numbered about 600. But Jonathan would not stand for this. A threat against the nation of Israel was a threat against God's promise to send the Savior into the world through that nation. And in the very next chapter of the Bible, the Bible writer describes a skirmish that defies gravity and parallels a Captain America movie. Jonathan and his armor bearer scaled a sheer cliff and in the space of about a half a football field just beat and destroyed 20 huge, powerful Philistine warriors. And what happened right after that, panic struck the whole Philistine army. It was panic sent by God, and news spread like wildfire, so all the Israelite soldiers came out of their hidey holes and were amazed and praised God for the victory he had won through Jonathan. What does this have to do with Lent, Sunday, the first Sunday at Lent? Well, Jesus is not only the victor who has won this great victory over the devil for us. He is also our victor who has given us Jonathan-like power to live our life in fighting off temptation. And Mark sketches out that power that Jesus gives us with just six words. Repent and believe the good news. In just a short little phrase, what he's giving us is the power we have, the power source, in order to fight off and temptation and live our life for God. There's a lot in the Holy Bible about how God wants us to live for him and to live with him and with others. Keep me number one in your life. Uphold my reputation. Use my words. Honor those over you. Take care of physical well-being, yours and others. Respect the opposite gender. Take care of property, yours and others. Watch your mouth. Control your desires. All of that important direction as God helps us live our life for him and others. But the source of power underneath it, the foundation, the heart and core behind all of that to make it happen in our life is this message from Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. What he's saying is simply this. Believe me when I tell you that on your own you are lost and trapped in Satan's hold. But believe me when I tell you that I am giving you victory for you twice over. For you, in your place, I fought the devil so you don't have to, but also for you, for your benefit. So you have power to fight off temptation. You do not have to live powerless. You do not have to think of yourself always first. You do not have to act out. You do not have to fight through a tangle web, of spider web of worries in your life. Because this is what really counts, Jesus says. I'm giving you power to live your life for me. If somebody ever asks you what Lent is all about, you can tell them, well, it does give us extra special time to focus on how much we need Jesus. But what really counts is our time to focus on what he has done for us, his victory twice over. Jesus is for me, in my place, a victor. And he gives me victory. 
And he is for me, for my benefit. He is my champion. So if somebody asks you what Lent is about, you can say, it's a time when I can focus on Jesus, my champion, and then throw my shoulders back, lift up my head, and shout out, Devil, you're going down, and I'm going up to heaven forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.